Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Sullivan. Today on the program, Wexit for real? Behind those numbers lies a profound sense of alienation that must be taken very seriously. After the Trudeau minority win leaves no liberals in Alberta or Saskatchewan, does the West want out? Will feelings of Western alienation be driven to new heights? Former Alberta Premier Alison Redford and Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi are here with the biggest challenge facing the new Trudeau government. And then, balancing act. It is not in our plans at all to form any sort of formal coalition, formal or informal coalition. Justin Trudeau holds on to power with a strong minority, but which party will prop him up? Will he make concessions to the NDP or will the bloc back him? We dig deeper into the battle over the balance of power and what to expect in the new government. Then, blocked. The Quebec Separatist Party came back from the dead on election night. Does this mean La Belle Provence wants out too? Former bloc leader Gilles Duceppe weighs in on the message Quebecers are sending to Ottawa. All this plus what's the future for Andrew Scheer after the big conservative loss. Former conservative minister John Baird joins us. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. We are tired. We are tired of politicians demanding that Albertans pay the bills while at the same time undermining our ability to generate the wealth that we share across the country. That's it, the Western anger. That's Jason Kenney, Premier of Alberta. Before Stephen Harper, the West wanted in. Now, after four years of Justin Trudeau, does the West really want out? Well, the Liberals won a strong minority on election night. They got wiped out in Alberta and in Saskatchewan. Suddenly, the term Wexit, Western exit, started trending between the rise of the bloc in Quebec and the growing sense of uh, Western alienation in the prairies, how will Justin Trudeau handle a country divided? Is a prairie exit really on the horizon, or is it just political bluster? To dig deeper, let's bring in two well-known Western voices. Alison Radford is the former Premier of Alberta, and Nad Nenshi is the Mayor of Calgary. They're both in Calgary. Great to have both of you on the program. And let me start with Alison Redford. Uh, what message was sent from Alberta and Saskatchewan to Justin Trudeau on election night? Well, I think that what you heard Premier Kenny say is something that Albertans have been saying for some time. It's certainly what we used to talk about when I was Premier. Uh, there is this sense that even though we're committed to the project of Canada, that there is a disconnect between understanding what the economics of Alberta are and how it contributes to the country. And so I think Premier Kenny's comments from the top of the show are very similar to what we're hearing uh, on the streets in Alberta. You know, the, the polling in Alberta still shows that, that you know, over 65% of people are very committed to Canada as a federal project. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there's an incredible amount of frustration that the rest of the country still hasn't linked together the fact that economic growth in Alberta and getting product to market is what allows the rest of the country to thrive as well. Yeah, and I, so my sense is that we want to partner and be a real partner, but there has to be some back and forth. But let's talk about that. Now, Nancy, I'm intrigued how you read this Western anger because, it's, you know, there's always something lost in translation as the voices west go east and sometimes vice versa. The liberals were, I talked to some of them, they're confused. They said, wait, we bought a four and a half billion dollar pipeline. We're not stopping the construction. Mm -hmm. The courts are stopping it. And yet we got blamed as if we're somehow against it. What Can you kind of calibrate how deep this anger goes, how personal it is? 
It's very real, uh, it's very frustrating, and it's very deep. Now, of course, there are people who are talking about Wexit because, you know, Brexit is going so very well and small landlocked <laughs> countries are the most successful in the world. Yeah, none of those things are true. Um, but the frustration and anger is real, and it's important for people to understand that. You know, our electoral map today is the same as it was before 2015. It's not uncommon. We, uh, before the 2015 election, we had not elected any Liberals uh, in Calgary since 1968. That said... It is something a little different now, stoked by loud voices, sometimes used by politicians to their advantage, but it is a problem. And, and I think you're exactly right, Evan. It's because people don't understand the very real concerns that Albertans have. You know, a lot of folks say, oh, Albertans are climate change deniers, or Albertans are just whiny, uh, they're rich anyway. And I don't think they really get it. You know, for many, many, many years, this province has been the economic engine of the country. And f revenues from taxpayers in this province have funded most of the major projects across this country. And yeah, sometimes we complain about it, but secretly, Albertans, I think, are real proud of the fact that we have been able to be yeah. successful, being able to support the Canadian family, support people coming here. The challenge now is that the economy is firing on all cylinders almost everywhere in the country. You know, unemployment is at record lows, except in Saskatchewan and Alberta. And suddenly we, who are used to being the economic engine, feel that we're sputtering. The country cannot succeed the federal budget can never be balanced without a successful Alberta and Saskatchewan. And yet we feel that the tone, the reflexive tone that's being taken about what's going on here doesn't really reflect our very, very real concerns. Every one of us knows someone who's been out of work for a long time, people who are very nervous about their own economic future, and that is somehow being translated into we support the oil and gas industry at all costs and we're climate change deniers and you can kind of ignore us and fly over us. And I think that's where the frustration so, comes so, from. So, Alison Redford, if you're Justin Trudeau, how do you... How do you calibrate what he's trying to do? He said he says he supports a pipeline. I know there's a lot of distrust with Justin Trudeau. People don't buy it. Uh, he says he also supports climate change. Uh, he has no representation there. What does he do now yep. to, to repair that and, and maybe decrease the real anger that we're hearing from Alberta? Well, I think that when the Prime Minister decided to deal with Trans Mountain, that he was taking a very long-term view. That's sometimes hard for people to understand because they want shorter-term solutions. But Everything that we need to do right now in Canada is about understanding that the issues that the mayor has just raised, whether it's around you know, First Nations reconciliation, climate change, pipeline, economic growth, jobs, are all part of a conversation where they all have to come together and fit. Not just so that we intellectually understand what it means, but so that we can actually come to a table, a negotiating table, and have a conversation that isn't about regional politics or party politics, but is about how we make this economy work. This economy that is very dependent on on natural resources that are based in Alberta and in Saskatchewan. And there are very good models that have been used around the world. Holland has a very important uh, structure in place that allows labor unions and politicians and teachers and students and environmentalists and industry to come to the table and make joint decisions about how to move forward, still understanding that their economy is based on unconventional resources. Uh, Nancy, i got to put this to you. The Prime Minister actually mentioned you twice by name in his first press conference post-election, duly noted. Many people are saying, though you're the mayor of Calgary, he's tapping you as a special advisor in some kind of role. A, has the Prime Minister called you and asked you to do anything? B, would you consider it? 
that was a very polite way of uh, asking that question, Evan. So I'll answer the question you didn't ask. No, no job has been offered, nor no job has been contemplated, uh, though I am probably uh, it's wrong that I'm enjoying uh, all this speculation because it's so silly. Uh, so but sorry, I did get a call just, from the Prime second. Minister. Uh, you would not contemplate anything? I just want uh -huh. to make that out of the You would not consider working in a special <laughs> advisory role or joining the federal Liberal government as a, represent a representative in Alberta. I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. <laughs> I love everyone asking me this question. Nothing has been offered. It's uh, purely, purely hypothetical. But let me tell you that I did have a great conversation with the Prime Minister on Wednesday morning. We had, uh, as we politicians say, a firm and frank exchange of views. Um, but I'll tell you, I appreciated the fact that he highlighted that his challenge in Alberta and Saskatchewan is the number one thing on his mind right now. Uh, and I appreciated getting a call, you know, 36 hours after the polls closed. Uh, to have that conversation and I know he's talked to many other people as well and fundamentally we talked about how he is going to make sure that both uh, in his own political staff as well as politically that he's hearing voices from Alberta in the West that he understands what is going on on the ground here we floated a number of ideas of ways that he could get even more plugged in uh, with people out here because fundamentally I'm willing to help and, and I think most Albertans are willing to help the Electoral result was not what most Albertans voted for, but we have this government now, and it's critical that we have Alberta issues on the table. And of course, the pipeline has to get built. Of course, we need to re-examine Bill C-69, which my premier calls the No More Pipelines right. Bill, but is actually much more dangerous than that. It's going to make all kinds of national infrastructure much more difficult to build. And so right. I think we are in a time of reconciliation in many ways, and I suspect we will be able to work together uh, okay. in a way that is useful. And uh, certainly I'm always on the other end of the phone, happy to help in any way. All right, that was a very political answer. I just, I got 10 seconds here. Alison Redford, just out of interest, would you be open to joining in some capacity a federal government to help give representation or voice in Alberta? Have you been asked? I'd be, ha I, I have not been asked. I am happy to help in any way. This is something that I think Canadians have been thinking about for a long time. And I think the key is that there have to be a lot of voices at the table. So, you know, the mayor has spoken quite eloquently about how we feel in the West, but also I think how we feel as Canadians. And I think that's exciting. I hope the Prime Minister takes up the opportunity. My sense is he will. Uh, I think he has a real passion for making sure that this can all work. And if there's something I can do, I'm happy to help. All right, there's an offer on the table. Alison Redford, Nahid Nanshi, both of you, I really appreciate hearing from both of you and listening to what you have to say. Thanks so much. Got to leave it there, though. Coming up, the anatomy of a win, the autopsy of a loss. The war room breaks down the election results. How does a Trudeau govern, uh, government work in a minority situation? And is Andrew Scheer's leadership actually in trouble? That's next and lots more. Stay right here with Question Period. <laughs> I intend to sit down uh, with all party leaders uh, in the coming weeks uh, to talk about their priorities, about how we can work together to respond to the preoccupations that Canadians have from uh, one end of this country to the other to the other. Was it humble Justin Trudeau? There he is, Justin Trudeau. He may have won the election Monday night, but how will he actually govern as a minority government? He's 13 seats short of a majority. Trudeau will need the support of at least one other party to survive, and they'll want a horse trade on key votes. Will it be the Bloc or the NDP or maybe even the Conservatives, at least on issues like pipelines? What will be the sticking points? And though he won more seats, is Andrew Scheer's leadership now in trouble? 
And what about Jagmeet Singh? He's been passing off losing a lot of seats as almost and getting a race in Quebec as a big win. How does that happen? Let's bring in the war room to find out. Scott Reed is the former director of communications for Paul Martin. Jenny Byrne is the former campaign director for Stephen Harper. And Carl Belanger is the former press secretary to Jack Layton and the former principal secretary to Tom Mulcair. Great to see all of you and great to see how well you function on no sleep. Uh, Scott, let me talk to you. You've worked in a minority government, of course, with Paul Martin. What is Trudeau's biggest challenge after this election? Well, the biggest challenge, obviously, is to know where you want to draw the line and where you don't want to draw the line. So he's going to have to work with the other parties. He's going to have to listen. He's going to have to strike deals. And when you want to strike deals, you have to be pretty transparent with people and say, listen, this is what my bottom lines are. These are the places I won't go. I thought he was smart on Tuesday in that respect, on Wednesday, I guess it was, when he said, look, I'm not going to compromise on the pipeline. We're going to proceed with that. So he's taken that off the table for the block of the NDP. Not going to be a barter point on that. But that's the biggest challenge. And then eventually... The biggest challenge is how do you not just stay alive, but when do you want to end it? How do you get out of a minority government when and if you think that's your advantage? But that's down the road. Yeah, it is down the road. Carl, uh, the NDP have the balance of power. Um, and I'll get to them in a minute, but uh, Trudeau's already taken the pipeline off the table. Do they have any power to really push an agenda on Justin Trudeau? It's going to be difficult because even though they do have a clean balance of power, um, they don't have the means to go back into an election right they're away. Broke. It, they're broke. And, and to be fair, the Bloc Québécois would have a hard time to campaign again. And with the rumblings about Andrew Scheer's leadership, even though they have money, I'm not sure they want to have an election right away. And you have to give a chance to uh, let Justin Trudeau govern. Now, the problem I had with what Justin Trudeau said is, I heard the message, we have a clear mandate to do exactly what we said we would do. That's not exactly how it works in the minority, minority government situation. Yeah, although he can play, you know, you've been there as well, Jenny, with, with Stephen Harper. Uh, if you've got a strong mm-hmm. minority and you know the other guys, look, I don't think the bloc just won the lottery. They're not going to try to toss that away. And the NDP are broke. So does Justin Trudeau have a, a fair bit of runway here? I think he does. I think this is going to be more a minority in the vein of Stephen Harper from 2008 to 2011. It's a strong uh, minority. He has 157 seats, uh, just 13 shy of uh, of. of a majority and so uh, no one really holds an absolute ba- balance of power it's not like 2004 it's not like 2006 and I think that uh, uh, the NDP do have uh, have problems in turn in terms of certain issues we were talking about the pipeline uh, Rachel Notley Jason Kenney introduced his budget and Rachel Notley took more questions about the federal NDP and Jagmeet Singh's <laughs> position on TMX than she did on the actual budget uh, Carl let me just pick up on that real quick um, the NDP. I mean, afterwards, Jagmeet Singh acted, and there was a, they were dancing there. They <coughs> acted like they had won the election. They got almost wiped out in Quebec. The orange wave is down to one. They were 59. From 2015 to 2019, the NDP lost 20 seats. They're now in fourth place. Is Jagmeet Singh missing something, calling this a victory? I know, I know he's essentially failed upward into the balance of power, but how would you describe well, it? Well, that's the paradox, right? Where, when you lose seats and you get more influence on government policy. But to be honest, 
uh, this whole dancing bit and dancing the night away and claiming victory, it was a bit indecent. Uh, here they were celebrating uh, on the grave of the orange wave. Uh, to me, it was, it was uh, very difficult to watch, and I know that a lot of candidates and MPs in Quebec, especially former MPs now, uh, were not happy about what happened. What do I they have to reflect on that? Well, they have to reflect on how do you connect back with, with, uh, with Quebecers. Uh, it's going to be very difficult. The way forward uh, is not shot because you have one seat. It's better than being shut out. But can Alexandre Boulris step up and become for Jagmeet Singh what Tumblecare was for Jack Layton? Uh, Scott, in some ways, uh, some people are saying one of the big victors of this campaign was something Justin Trudeau wanted to talk about, climate change. 66% of Canadians voted for parties that have a, who have a climate change and a price on carbon and a policy on that. What message does that send, say, to Andrew Scheer? Well, that's a great question. I think, you know, Shear's now talking about whether or not he's going to be able to hold on to the leadership. How disaffected are people within the party? My view is in order to dislodge someone like uh, Andrew Shear, you need a mechanism. You've got a leadership review coming. So that's a, that's a checkbox. But you also need an angry caucus and you need an alternative. To me, the big thing is Andrew Shear can easily put down any leadership quarrels whatsoever because there is no alternative provided he shows that he's willing to grow on issues like climate change and he's willing to grow on issues like lgbtq so far his early signals are he's not going to do that he wants to put a low ceiling over his own head and if i was a party member i'd say no no, put that ceiling over your head, but don't put it over mine. Uh, Jenny, let, let me pick up on that. He gave an interview to uh, the Canadian press, and he said, I'm not going to march in a gay pride parade after that. I'm, I'm still not going to do that. I mean, does he have to look now at social conservative issues that Stephen Harper kept very much in a vault, and, I, and that maybe a lot of conservatives thought, you know what, you let those out of the vault. Um, can a social conservative like him, can he win in places like Ontario and Quebec? Well, I think in terms of the uh, uh, question regarding same-sex marriage, uh, the vast, vast majority of conservatives are the same as Canadians across the country. Uh, over the last 15 years since it's been law, uh, uh, the majority of people uh, support uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, it was reaffirmed in 2007 and uh, at the uh, Conservative Party uh, com convention in 2016 in Vancouver, an overwhelming majority, 7% of party members, uh, voted to remove same-sex marriage, uh, the, the opposition to same-sex marriage out of the policy, uh, all of the out of the policy uh, framework, uh, which which is is great and it's in line with uh, Canadian values. Uh, I think the problem, and you touched on it, that uh, that Andrew is going to have in terms of the next few months is uh, expectations management, and and it's the opposite. Uh, Jagmeet Singh uh, is feeling like he he won the lottery uh, with the campaign, uh, and there's an opposite feeling within conservatives that I speak to. Uh, people are very happy that we uh, picked up. Uh, 20 seats from the 2015 campaign and uh, and got 6.1 uh, million uh, million votes. What they are concerned about, though, is the fact that we went down in votes in both Ontario and Quebec from the 2015 campaign. And although we picked up uh, four seats in Ontario, four rural seats, Kenora, Northumberland, Hastings, and, and Essex, I say as, as, as someone that was born and raised in uh, rural Ontario, there's still a concern that we lost seats like Lisa Rates in Milton and uh, Kitchener-Conestoga, a uh, fast, fast-growing community. So those are going to be issues so that Andrew Scheer is going to have to deal with. So can he survive? I just got a couple seconds. Can Andrew Scheer survive? Or is he, or is he in genuine well, peril here? 
I, I think that uh, uh, all members, including uh, caucus members and party members, are looking at, uh, at ha what he has to say in the uh, weeks and months to come. Wow, that sounds... Can like I just jump in on last that? Real quick, that's a razor's edge. Because from my perspective, he has started badly. I think he does hold all the cards in terms of being able to set aside leadership questions. But as you say, when he openly declares, I won't go into a pride parade, never, no, I think he's telling some of his own party members, I ain't going to grow. And that's something they'll have yeah, to He's got to show that he's learning, and so far he's not showing that. Well, long road ahead, Scott, Jenny, and Carl. Uh, first of all, thanks for being here. I thought you guys would take a vacation after that 40 days and 40 nights. vacation. <laughs> this is what we like to do on vacation. We do. Coming up. Uh, what happened to the much-promised Green Wave? Green Party leader Elizabeth May joins us to talk about the campaign that failed to meet expectations, speaking of the expectation games, and what it means for her future as the leader. Stay right here with Question Period. High green hopes, low green results. After massive expectations to become an official party in the House, 12 seats, and gain all the resources that comes with that, Elizabeth May's Green Party won only one more seat, bringing their total to three. So, what went wrong, and will Elizabeth May stay on as the leader much longer? To find out more, I am joined now by the Green Party leader, Elizabeth May, who is in Vancouver. First of all, congratulations. You did grow your seat number from two to three, but you were on the show earlier in the campaign saying you expected 12 or 20 seats. What went wrong? Oh, I don't think I ever said I expected them. My hopes were high. The party staff and the campaign management team would never have thought that that was possible. But I, I've, I've got to say, I measure this as against the last general election where we had one seat. That was crushing. Uh, returning to Parliament, let's face it, Paul Manley's campaign for re-election faced strong headwinds after the by-election win May 6th. Uh, the NDP said that was a fluke. They'd take the seat back. So I'm really pleased that Paul held on. But we did expect in, more. In, in I mean, Ladysmith. you did get that one, yeah, no, obviously. Totally. And you I'm did really you happy. get one extra seat, but we expected maybe Guelph. You one certainly extra. expected no, the southern we part went of Vancouver from one Island. Seat to three. <laughs> we went from one seat to three. We broke out of being a B.C. party federally. And we had more, for the first, we had our vote, uh, popular vote increased by 87 percent. I mean, let's look at it. Trudeau lost ground. Singh lost ground. Sheer is disappointed in that kind. I mean, the only person happier than me after the election, let's face it, is the Bloc Québécois. Now, I get, I get you politicians. Uh, hope is the engine of your car. <laughs> I get that. I don't know if it emits any greenhouse yeah. gas emissions. But look, the NDP also lost seats. But is there a message yeah. that well over 65, 66 percent of the population did vote for parties who want a price on cars? The, the people of Canada said, you know what, we like the Liberal plan and it includes the Trans Mountain Pipeline. The Conservatives who won the popular vote also support the Trans Mountain Pipeline. What do you take from that? I take from it that we never got to a serious discussion of the science. The vast majority of Canadians voted for parties that say they want climate action. I wish that somebody else in the election campaign other than Greens had also looked at the science and said we must immediately increase the target we have as a nation if we're going to play any but, useful but, but role. But I understand that, and you said that throughout the campaign, to be fair. But in the end, most Canadians yeah. voted not only for a price on carbon, but most Canadians voted to have the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Do you have to now recalibrate your message to say, you know what, Canadians aren't listening to what I'm saying. I was barely rewarded. The NDP dropped in support. We must be offside with the majority of Canadians on a very fundamental issue. The difficulty for me is that as 
a mother and as a grandmother, and in all honesty, Evan, you, you don't recalibrate a message if the science is telling you we have one last chance, and that's what the science is telling us. The window on holding to a livable world is not, this is not about politics, this is about science. The window on holding to 1.5 degrees will close before the next scheduled election in 2023. So I don't have the option of saying, oh, our message isn't popular, so we better just pretend everything is all right. Okay, so what do, do you do? So what will you demand? Mr. Trudeau's got a minority government. Uh, the green three seats might not be critical, but you never know. What would you, you demand know. from Mr. Trudeau in su to support liberal bills? Do you still have a green line? Well, we did. We, we did release on Thursday a letter that we sent to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. And I have to say, I had a good conversation with him on Tuesday. So we sent a letter to Prime Minister Trudeau, copy to all the other party leaders, to say, look, we will never vote confidence in a government that doesn't have a climate target that's grounded in science. I urge the Prime Minister very firmly to change Canada's target, to pull it and put in place a new one, which can be done by the executive alone. In other words, cabinet can do it before the next climate negotiations open on December 2nd. And what did he say so to you on the really phone? When you said that, as you well, said in the, what did he say to you on that? We, we had a kind of, we had a good conversation, but I wouldn't want to be, you know, revealing what the Prime Minister said or didn't say on the phone. It's clear from everything he said publicly and privately that he's very focused right now on how to accommodate what looks like an, a, a gap between what Alberta and Saskatchewan expect and what the rest of the country wants. My view is you don't pander to people who don't understand climate science, you explain it. You explain it courteously. You explain it respectfully, but you can't pander to denialists. What is you sorry? Have but what is pander? I mean, he's got no MPs in Alberta and Saskatchewan. He was rejected. You're saying that he's he's going to pander to them? What about just listening to well, Canadians who don't like his message and they, well, they're part of the country? But he also won an election based on saying he believes in climate action, that the Liberals will deliver climate action. And that part of the message, which was shared as a message with the NDP, without a plan that meets it, has to come up against the science. I mean, you can't negotiate with physics. There is only so much time left to deliver a livable world. And that livable world includes for Albertans. Right. Well, I've got you here. I've got to... I've got to ask you, you know, you've been at this, I think you, were you 2006 when you became the leader of the Green Party? You've been, gosh, you've been fighting so hard. You, your party's at three now. Will you stay on as the leader till the next election? What is your future as the leader of the Green Party? Well, I've been very candid about this all the time, Evan, and honestly, I felt much more crushed at the end of the 2015 election. I would have been very happy if I'd found people saying, yeah, we want to run, and we think you should go, and no one said that. So in 2019, I can tell you this, I think it's, it depends when, when you say the next election. If the government didn't survive its first confidence vote, and we were in a spring 2020 election, I think it's very likely I would lead the party into that. But if we're talking about 2023 and the next scheduled federal election on a fixed election date, I think it's very, very unlikely that I would not have at that point already found the succession planning, already had uh, the, the Greens, because it's not up to me, that our membership will have embraced a new leader. Okay, so is there a I'll leadership? for re-election. So is there a leadership yeah. review? I'll be running for re-election as the member parliament. Okay. So automatically, so, yes. Yeah, there is an automatic review. Yes. So, so there could be, so are you hoping that within the next, if there's, there might be an election in 18 months, whatever, but are you hoping within the next two-year period, if there's not a federal election, you will have a leadership review and then you'll choose a new Green Party leader? That would be your choice. Actually, before the, uh, the leadership review is, will happen no matter what, and I doubt very much that in a leadership review 
the members would want to see me leave. I'll be making that decision, I think, you know, with, with my colleagues. It's important for Paul Manley and Jenica Atwin, my caucus members, that we make a decision together for what's in the best interest of the party and what's in the best interest of, let's face it, Paul Manley had one month in Parliament before yeah. the election because that by-election was very close to uh, when the writ dropped. So I'm very, very pleased to have a caucus of three. They're spectacular individuals. But they have to have a big say in this as well. So it's a decision we make collaboratively, and I imagine it'll be made, um, you know, you know, in the next in the coming months, not imminently, because we need some stability going into a minority parliament. Okay, so in the coming months, you will make a decision on your future and how the Green Party chooses yeah. the next leader. But if the election was in four years, you're not running. Interesting. Elizabeth May, fascinating campaign, fascinating days to come. Always appreciate you coming on the program. Thanks so much. Thanks, Evan. Coming up, the knives are already out for Conservative leader Andrew Scheer following a disappointing election result for his party. He did win the popular vote. But can an outspoken social conservative hold on to power? Why are there so many rumblings? The Scrum is next with our special guest, former Harper Cabinet Minister John Baird. Stay right here with Question Period. This is how it starts. This is the first step. And now we are heading back to Ottawa with a much bigger team, with more support from coast to coast, and with an endorsement from the Canadian people that we are the government in waiting. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer managed to grow the party by over 20 seats. He won the popular vote. He took the Liberal majority down to minority. But uh, any way you look at it, he promised to win a majority government. And now multiple conservative sources have told me and many others that there are deep concerns about the leadership. Uh, Mr. Scheer faces a mandatory leadership review in April, but he is now standing by his social conservative positions on abortion and same-sex marriage. Can a leader with those views win a general election? And with 66% of the Canadian population voting for parties who support a price on carbon, does the conservative party have to rethink their issues around that as well. Let's bring in the scrum to talk about that and challenges facing Mr. Trudeau. Tonda McCharles is a senior reporter with the Toronto Star. Joyce Napier is CTV's Ottawa bureau chief. Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator. None of them have slept. And this for the last 40 days. And this round, our, our special guest is the former foreign affairs minister, John Baird. Okay, great to see everybody back. Wide awake. I know after an election, every party declares victory, no matter how bad it got. And I've heard all the spin, John Baird, and I'll, and I'll start start with you. There's a case to be made that Andrew Scheer did well, as I've just outlined, but he didn't win as he promised. What went wrong? Well, I mean, I think you always learn a lot from uh, every campaign, win or lose. I think we've got to remember that this was a very, uh, uh, the, a majority government has, uh, party has never been defeated in its second uh, go since 1935, uh, and the economy is doing strong. Uh, obviously, we were all disappointed. Andrew has said chief amongst them uh, is himself. Uh, but I think we've got to look at it. I mean, this is the biggest official opposition ever elected in Canadian history. And second, we won the, uh, the popular vote. So while we didn't go as far as we wanted to, I think we didn't do as badly as uh, others had predicted. I ran with Mike Harris and with Stephen Harper. Both uh, of them were unsuccessful in their first bids for power. They came back more experienced, stronger, and were much more ready to govern and govern well. And I think uh, Andrew has that capacity. And I think there's going to be a lot of support for him in the party. Well, Craig, I mean, th that is one interpretation. He could just uh, do it all over again and wait it out, and there's an inevitable rush of power. But what is the obstacle? If there is an obstacle, what is it? Well, after hearing John, I'm almost convinced I'm about to change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> he was always a persuasive politician. Uh, well, 
first, I think the biggest problem was he was out of tune with the spirit of the times. He got nailed time and again and should have seen it coming on abortion, on gay rights. Uh, and he just didn't seem to be able to react quickly on his feet. Uh, and I think those were the biggest problems. But I don't actually think those were the only problems. A big part of uh, the Conservative Party under Andrew Scheer's problem was that he ran as Stephen Harper, basically. And people didn't buy that he was Stephen Harper and didn't buy that he would keep a, a, a lock on the social conservatives in his caucus were they to come to power. And, you know, even some of Stephen Harper's aides said if Steve, even Stephen Harper wouldn't have run as Stephen Harper this time. They didn't have a credible climate change plan that that voters believed. They might believe it's a credible plan, but the voters didn't buy it. And and he failed to appeal to Quebecers. He has a huge problem in Quebec. Not only that, but he also lost votes in all of the biggest cities in the country. That's where the future is. That's where the population is going. If the Conservatives can't find a way to encapture all of these, especially young people in the big cities, they've got a big long-term problem. Look, he did come back with a bigger team, and that's the, 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 the truest thing he said in his speech. Mm -hmm. It is a bigger team, and mm -hmm. he did get the popular vote. The thing is that he lost everything else. Um, during the campaign, I followed him for a while, and I asked him that question. After blackface and brownface, after SNC-Lavalin, after the fact that his main opponent was bruised and bleeding, how come he was still neck and neck with mm -hmm. him? How come he could not break free despite the errors and the huge errors of the other side? Um, and that's the problem. And, you know, uh, there's only one person you can blame that on, and it's the leader. And I think that their review will be a very interesting one. And let's see if the conservatives say out loud what they are telling us uh, on the phone and in hush-hush words. Do they want a new leader? And is that what they need, a new leader? There is a mandatory, John Barry, there's a mandatory leadership review in April. That is what the constitution of the party says. There's no way around that, apparently. Do conservatives have to reflect and recalibrate on some of these fundamental issues? I think there's no doubt we've got to learn and listen to the voices that, uh, that uh, when Canadians spoke on Election Day. Particularly, I look uh, in suburban uh, Canada where uh, Stephen Harper was able to win big and where we, uh, we fell short. You know, I am, uh, I'm a supporter of Andrew Scheer. I'm not a social conservative. I differ uh, on, uh, on his personal views on those issues. But I had no concern or no fear that he would seek to reopen either uh, gay rights or uh, with respect to uh, abortion, uh, abortion rights. I think what he's got to do is, uh, preparing for the next election campaign, is have a better narrative and be crystal clear so that the fear-mongering uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't cause voters to, to pause and be, uh, and be concerned. This is, this is the great trick of the Liberal Party, the bring out these boogeyman issues. Uh, Thirty years ago it would have been, oh, the Conservatives get elected, they're going to get rid of seniors' uh, old age programs. And now it's on these uh, social conservative issues. There's no doubt that uh, that was a concern among uh, many voters. Uh, and the party needs a better narrative yeah. on that, and I think Andrew will look at look to the uh, look to that uh, election result and uh, and uh, perhaps be more definitive and have a better narrative. Yeah, maybe. I mean, John, they played this book before, but Andrew Shear at times didn't seem ready. But let me just pivot over to Justin Trudeau. Mm -hmm. He's the guy that won. It's a strong minority, but he got taken down from a majority to he a minority sure a year ago. Mm -hmm. Thought there was a lock-in for a majority. Partway through this campaign, people thought he might lose it. What's the, what was his biggest challenge, and what does he face going ahead? His biggest challenge, and, you know, in this respect, the Conservatives were very successful in, over the course of the past four years, uh, chastising Mr. Trudeau for the virtue signaling, um, mm. preaching 
that somehow he was holier than thou, that liberals were holier than thou, and that they had a lock on principle and ethics and, and the rest of the world, you know, didn't. Um, they were successful. They, they, I think, chipped away at the paint at the veneer of Trudeau as the, the great, you know, lefty progressive rock star in the world. Right. Um, and I think in the campaign, when, when blackface happened, that was... A, you know, a short-term stumble, but it started to reinforce, you know, the conservatives' portrayal of him. So I think actually Mr. Trudeau struggled because somehow that campaign was still all centered on him, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it? That he branded the party again. And so I think they have to read that as a kick in the pants. And they have to, I think, actually get down to the hard work of governing domestically now. And forget the international globe trotting and appealing yeah. to Vogue and Vanity Fair mm -hmm. and Rolling Stone. And what, what I think both leaders lacked, uh, both Andrew Scheer and Justin Trudeau, was authenticity. Um, I think that they were on track, on message track, all the time, no matter what the questions were mm -hmm. across yeah. the country, no matter what the issues were, yeah. no matter how heart-wrenching or not heart-wrenching, yeah. they would not answer the questions and stayed on message track. Who are these two guys that want to run the country? Was the questions that we were asking them as we followed them, and the answers never came. And there were many, many things written yeah. about that. So are they authentic? Who are they? And why can't they speak from the heart? Uh, Trudeau's biggest problem, I think, I think, I think is that he's got to, he has to re rebuild trust. Uh, he also has to focus on patience and focus, uh, neither of which he's ever been very good at. But, I, you know, I, I don't think he's in much trouble, as in much trouble as many people think he is. Yeah, he got shut out in two uh, prairie provinces. But remember, they got shut out on him, too. And they need him because they all say their biggest imperative is a pipeline. He owns the pipeline. He's the guy that's right. fighting three opposition parties to defend that pipeline. They better not uh, uh, savage Trudeau too much because they'll weaken him and they won't get their pipeline. All right, last word to you, John Baird. You're the only guy here that's I been in a, a minority government with, uh, with Stephen Harper. Are you, so what challenges does Justin Trudeau in a minority government face? I don't think he faces the challenges that people think. He has a very strong uh, minority. And frankly, what is the NDP going to do? Vote against him in his throne speech no matter what's in it? And then have Andrew Scheer installed as prime minister? What are they going to do? Uh, go to another election where they have neither the resources uh, or the capacity to be able to yeah. campaign it? So I think for the short term, he's in pretty strong shape. But, you know, Canadians put him uh, in, on probation. They have uh, clipped his wings. Yeah. And I think the uh, Liberal Party and the Cabinet will be uh, much more aggressive at pushing back at some of the virtue signaling, the political correctness and the hypocrisy that has uh, been a hallmark of this government. Man, it is going to get really interesting. We'll see how he governs as a minority. John Baird, great to have you back on the program. Coming up, does the bloc surge in Quebec put sovereignty back on the political map? We've talked about Western alienation. What about good old-fashioned Quebec alienation? The Scrum returns with former bloc Quebecois leader Gilles Duceppe. Stay right here with Question Period. Quebecois is a party saying and believing deeply that Quebecers would do better if they had all the powers that come with sovereignty. However, we are well aware of the fact that what Quebec needed this time and what has been given to us as a mandate is not to use the parliament or not to, let's say, not to make this parliament ineffective in order to show that sovereignty is necessary.
Well, the pollsters predicted a blue sweep in Quebec on Election Day, but they were forecasting a bloc blue, not a conservative blue. The bloc Quebecois did emerge as one of the big stories on Election Night. Leader Yves-François Blanchet gained 32 seats. Can you imagine that? Up from 10 before the election call. The bloc replaced the NDP as a third party in the House, which means the once quieted calls for Quebec separatism might grow louder. How will the Liberals work with the bloc in a new minority parliament? And what does all this mean for the future of the Federation? To talk about that, let's call back the scrum. Tonda McCharles is back. Joyce Napier is back. Craig Oliver is back. And our special guest for this round is the former Bloc Quebecois leader, Gilles Duceppe. Uh, Mr. Duceppe, welcome uh, to the program. Let's start with you. It's a pleasure. Um, pleasure. What message does Justin Trudeau have to get from the rise of the Bloc in Quebec? I think he, he, he will have to realize that uh, the, the bloc is there. There's something in Quebec called sovereignists, not in majority, but the sovereignists are here in Quebec. 32, 32 seats, I would say that to one third of the population supporting sovereignty, so it means something. Having said that, the election was not about sovereignty, neither about new federalism or any kind of federalism. It was about very specific issues. And I think the bloc answered that pretty well. Blanchet did a good job. He, he didn't. It uh, was different from the other leaders. Instead of fighting each other with uh, no IDs, but just attacking, uh, personal attack in, in many cases. And I think that touched Quebecers. And, and now that'd be a different game because nobody has the balance of power in Ottawa nowadays because everyone has the balance of power. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it depends on the issues and, and, uh, on Trans Mountain. I was just gonna, well, yeah. I was just going to say it's pretty clear that uh, Mr. Blanchet's showing in Quebec uh, makes it a challenge for Mr. Trudeau to navigate the waters between east-west divide, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Mr. Blanchet impressed, and the, the fear tactics of the liberals and the conservatives never worked in Quebec. So mm-hmm. I think all of the parties, other than the Bloc Québécois, showed that they didn't actually have a good offer that appealed across the board to Quebecers. His discourse in Quebec made sense to Quebecers. They parked their vote, right? Uh, Mr. Duceppe is quite right. It's one-third are sovereignists. But he could bring that number, and he said it in many of his speeches, that he's hoping to bring that number above 50%. Yeah. And if the conditions allow it, and if he can maybe create a few of those conditions, he will. Uh, don't kid yourself. It is, yeah. His agenda mm-hmm. is there, and he didn't even hide it. He was actually quite candid about what he wanted to do. And environment is one of his one of his priorities. But you know these are sovereignists, sovereignists, uh, and you know they will they will pursue that option uh, eventually. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And by the end, he wasn't hiding it, Craig. No, he talked no, about he nationalism, wasn't. but he yeah. talked about no, sovereignty separatism later. He wasn't at all. But he did say, uh, my uh, mandate here is not to stop the federal government and the government of Canada from uh, from progressing. Uh, but he is uh, in in English. He has a warmth about him, an accommodating kind of personality, and such men are dangerous when they are also separatists. But remember this, Federalist parties won 50 seats in Quebec. They're still very much in business. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Mr. Blanchet, you talk about his warmth and his his demeanor, but, you know, he was known as the goon when he was a Pekist, and he's still a Pekist, and he he has said, of course I want my own country, just not right now. What about the NDP? So... 
the NDP were predicted, even if the bloc didn't rise, to lose many seats. They saved one, but they, they saved lost one. But you know, they in the dying days of the campaign, they'd actually had hopes of saving a few more than that. And and the fact that someone like Ruth Ellen Brasso, who in the previous camp, you know, back in the Orange Wave days, was you know Vegas girl, had spent eight years working that riding to death and was is loved in her in her constituency, lost her seat. That's a uh, that's very that bodes very poorly for Mr. Singh. He's got a lot of work yeah. to do. His own people say that they want him to stay on, but boy, does he have a lot they of work to win they over thought it was a, they, they were dancing afterwards. Yeah. They said it was a victory. They went from it third was, to yeah, fourth. No, that was, that was, was, that was, was, stu right. that, that was I, stunning I, that he I, would give, first of all, the longest speech of the evening, right. a, way, a speech yeah. that was way too long, right, first off, yeah. and a victory speech. You walk in dancing when you've lost 15 seats, and before you, lose, you lost 15 seats, the, prior to the campaign, 12 of tenors of that party resigned. So wait a minute, there is no victory there at all. I actually no. don't see a victory. It's just not the disaster he okay, thought it would be. Craig, let me just get to Craig because I want to just, Craig, how so given okay, fine, that with no Singh, given that with Singh, he's supposedly holding the balance of power there. What, does he have any power now uh, Of course he does. And one of Trudeau's advantages with him is he now is one of the people who has the balance of power. Everybody seems to these days. Uh, <laughs> but he is his ideological ally on any number of issues. So he will be a very useful ally for Trudeau when he needs it. If he doesn't need him, maybe he'll need the Tories on pipelines. Maybe he'll need the bloc on another. Uh, Trudeau is not in nearly exactly. as much trouble as shop. people think he is. He can yeah, shop for, uh, for uh, allies. Mm -hmm. and, and the NDP's broke. They don't want an yeah, election they, right yeah, now. Absolutely. Uh, Gilles, Gilles Duceppe, biggest challenge for Mr. Trudeau right now? Okay, but I wanted to say that uh, it was interesting to hear Thomas Walker the day after the election saying that he was shocked when he saw people jumping and dancing in Vancouver while they lost everything in Quebec. Walker <laughs> didn't appreciate that at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that Mr. Singh will have to start, uh, stop dance, uh, dancing and start saying same, something. Uh, he's not answering question at all. I think uh, Tr Tr Trudeau, uh, Trudeau should realize that he... he there's something called Quebec existing, different from the rest of Canada, not better, not worse, just plain different. And, and I think he didn't realize that, or he didn't want to accept that. So he, he will have to, to, uh, to propose clear things. And if some of his ministers almost lost. I'm thinking of Le Boutillier or, or mm -hmm. Champagne. Mm -hmm. So that was yeah. quite a message also. Quite a message. He, he thought he was to, to sweep Quebec. That, that didn't happen at all. Yeah, lots of surprises and big challenges ahead. we got to leave it there. Good thing is we'll be back in seven days. Craig Joyce, Tanya, and Gilles Duceppe, merci bien. Thanks, everybody. Thank all of you for watching. Before we go, we do want to wish the international trade minister, Jim Carr, a speedy recovery as he battles cancer, which he revealed late last week. He was diagnosed the day after getting re-elected in Winnipeg South Centre. He is known as a very hard-working MP and all of us here and across the country sending you our good wishes for a speedy recovery. We will be back here in seven short days. Thanks for watching, everyone.